either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. A little bit of everything at the movies this week. We got music. We got sharks. We've got uh, even some honey, some honey and some bees. We do. Interesting. We'll get to all that. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com. We want to say thanks to Dave, who took our recommendation last week on Dora, right? Yeah, so Dave of Dave's Pop Culture Podcast listens, and and, uh, he saw Aladdin, not based on a recommendation, like eight times with his kids in the theater. And so I guess they stopped showing it at the theater. So based on the fact that we enjoyed Dora, he took his kids and he posted a cute picture nice. of him and his two of his kids. And that was they, they were super cute. And I guess they liked it. So. Love it when it all works out. Well, That's great. Right. Thank you for that. So we've got a new batch to uh, talk about this week. And let's start with one we've been looking forward to for a while. It's in 1987, during the austere days of Thatcher's Britain, a teenager learns to live life understand his family, and find his own voice through the music of Bruce Springsteen. Maybe you've heard of him. It's Blinded by the Light. I want to be a writer, but my family is stuck in another century. Writing isn't a job. I need you to do more. Bruce is the direct line to all this true and world. Seriously, what does he know about our world? be listening to our music before you start getting confused and hating yourself. I listen to everything. I can feel it all right here. It's like Bruce knows everything I've ever felt. Everything I've ever wanted. My poems, they're not brilliant, but they're mine. Do you think that this man sings for people like us? But he talks to me. Things about not letting the hardness of the world stop you from letting the best of you slip away. My hope is to build a bridge to my ambitions, but not a wall between my family and me. Purpose of your visit? I'm going to see Bruce Springsteen's hometown. I can't think of a better reason to visit the United States than to see the home of the boss. Well, I guess we should say, as we talk about this movie, we're both wearing Bruce Springsteen concert T-shirts. <laughs> uh, just full disclosure, we've obviously been looking forward to this one for a while. And as we've said here for a while... How many times have you seen him? Um, I think the last time we counted up, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 35. Yeah. So somewhere in there. If you count all the like political rallies yeah. where he just does three and or four songs. Yeah. yeah, And I'm counting that. Yes. Uh, it's up, you saw him. He was performing. That's right. That's right. It, it's up in the high 30s. Yeah. And I think you're in the high 20s. Yeah. I think something like that. Yeah. So I started a little later than you. So we enjoy the Bruce Springsteen. So we're really looking forward to this for a number of reasons. Well, first off. He's been very stingy over the years about allowing his music to be used for movies. Yeah, that was one of the reasons that when I first saw this trailer, I was the most blown away by the idea of it. Because Springsteen has, as you know, over the years, he's written songs for different films. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got an Oscar. In fact, he's got a couple of different nominations. But what he has always done before is turned down filmmakers who are asking to use his catalog, anything right. from his catalog, and some big films and yeah. some big filmmakers, and he has said no, and they gave this guy like 15 songs. Yeah, exactly. So the great thing about it is, if you love Bruce as we do, you, you've got that part of it, all the, all the music, but it, it works on a different level. It's such a great 
feel-good story, and it's a it's based on a true story, based on a memoir. A man that is now a successful writer has made a successful career as a writer named Sarfranz Manzur, and it's based on his memoir. You know, it's loosely based, but still, the 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 uh, character in the uh, named Javid in this movie is basically him. His teenage years and uh, growing up years as a British citizen of Pakistani descent living in the 80s. And it opens in the late 80s in 1987 with, uh, as it was said in the opening there, the synopsis, you know, Thatcher has taken over Britain and you're, you're seeing that austerity come into play with the Conservative Party. And you've also seeing a rise of far-right bigotry, which, mm-hmm. of course, affects Javid's family mm-hmm. as Pakis, as they're as being called and spit on throughout the uh, Throughout the sh- the movie, so you know he's he's not having a great time of it no. uh, in high school, and he's trying to think about his own future while his very strict and traditional father, who is great by the way, let me get the actor's name because Colvinder Gear plays his father, great, and so they have a rough relationship, and he's Javed is in the middle of the late '80s synth pop. Overthrow, you know, all his friends like that synth pop that you loved. I did, and it's interesting because by just you know the late eighties, eighty seven, just a few years from three years from Bruce's heyday, yeah, from Born in the USA. But by then, all his friends are going, "That's your dad's music," which is (laughs) hilarious. So it's totally moved on, and so Javid's friend gives him some Springsteen cassettes, and then his life is just transformed, and he sets out to to make a life for himself as a writer. That's now his ambition. And it's just such a fun, fun movie that has not one ounce of cynicism to it. It's got everything. It's got the coming-of-age story. Mm -hmm. It's got a pretty timely social conscience about Mm -hmm. it as well. It's also got straight-up Bollywood dance sequences. (laughs) Fantastic. And it's got humor in it. And there's, boy, not not a lot to... uh, to complain about here, and not not that we would. I mean, we would if it was a crappy movie. We would. We would just say the music was great. But as you pointed out, you know, you don't really have to be a Springsteen fan to really enjoy the film. It helps because of the music itself, yeah. but it transcends that. It's really wherever you find your inspiration. As you said, it could be Taylor Swift. Yeah. It could be you know, it could be Pink Floyd. It could be Metallica. It could be it could be anybody. Wherever you sort of find. The inspiration, and so often when you're in high school and, you know, and you're feeling like an outcast and you're having problems with your parents, that is when we all kind of cling to a certain type of music. And that it's certainly an area of of adolescence that would appeal to Springsteen fans. I mean, he certainly touches on all those things. Exactly. It's really about inspiration, using the the basis of this man's story to tell it. It's directed by Gurinder Chadha, who directed Bend 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 It Like Beckham. And I think she does just a great job in making it so you can't help but feel this elation that the author, the source material, wanted you to feel about how this affected his life. I mean, when he gets that Bruce awakening and first puts the cassette into the Walkman, (laughs) which is great. You know, the lyrics are all, they're on the screen, they're dancing around his head, they're on walls in buildings. He's pumping his fist. He's suddenly cutting the sleeves off his uh, shirts and going full <laughs> Bruce. And his, 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 his friends just cannot understand what he's doing. And he just feels so so joyful about it. And for the longtime fans, it's nice. They give him nods because he gets to make that explanation that we've all given to people that misunderstand the lyrics to Born in the USA. <laughs> it's nice to see that. It's yeah. a little nod. Yes, that's right. It's not a big jingoistic no, American anthem. Thank you very much for that. Uh, so 
Uh, but yet it tells the story of this boy and how he, you know, he finds his first girlfriend. He gets help from a very sincere teacher who thinks he has writing talent. Mm-hmm. Teacher played by uh, Haley Atwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you also get caught up in just the characters and the family drama, especially the relationship between Javed and his father. Because, as you mentioned, that's a very universal conflict. Uh, and it certainly is a conflict that has informed a lot of Springsteen songs. A lot. E- exactly <laughs> right. So it, it only makes sense, especially in this regard, where his father is wanting for his son a very much more traditional future mm-hmm. based on their culture, where his father gets to choose what he will be doing. Right. His father gets to pick for him. And he's saying, no, I want to make my He's own saying way. it's Independence Day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Papa, go to bed now. It's getting late. Okay, <laughs> don't mind us. We're going to go off and just quote some uh, Springsteen songs. But yeah, so if you're a Springsteen fan, you're going to absolutely love it. But don't be misled that it's about Bruce, or about his life. It's not at all. It's just about inspiration and especially how his music for this one particular person uh, spurred him on to great success. He's gone on to fantastic success, and he has got us both beat. The author of the book has beat. I think he said that he has seen Bruce now over 150 times, and at the end, there's they show pictures of the two of them actually together, uh, which is, you know, jealous, jealous yeah, times. So we're going to have to well, go write a book. I know. But there's another <laughs> thing that I think for Bruce fans, Bruce loves this movie. Mm-hmm. He loves it. So yeah. that's that's enough reason for me to see it. Yeah. Well, how could you not? When you get to see, <laughs> I mean, he sees it every night with how people react to him in concert. But to really see how somebody lovingly and good-naturedly just says, man, you really affected my life. You changed the course of my life. That's got to be just incredibly touching. It does. Um, And it's also very funny. Don't don't get me wrong. It's very funny. Rob Brydon is hysterical. Rob Brydon has a great cameo as Javid's best friend's dad, um, and he's wearing this great mullet wig. Uh, (laughs) Fantastic. And and there's, there's a nice humor in the fact that because Bruce's last name is Springsteen, Javed's father thinks he's Jewish. He keeps calling him that Jewish singer. And so he's like, he's not Jewish, and that's racist. So <laughs> that's just one of the ways they go back and forth. But so there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of everything in it. It just, I hate to use the term the feel-good movie of the year because that's just <laughs> such a thrown-around cliche. But you can't really help but feel good uh, walking out of this. You really can't. Loved Blinded by the Light. Well, let's go from high school to middle school for the next one. Three sixth-grade boys ditch school and embark on an epic journey while carrying accidentally stolen drugs, being hunted by teenage girls, and trying to make their way home in time for a long-awaited kissing party. It's good boys. I'm having a party tomorrow. You in? Yeah. Can Thor and Lucas come? They're so random. They're my best friends. We do everything together. There's going to be girls at the party. You know what that means? Drama. No. Kissing. You do not want to go to Soren's party not knowing how to kiss. We can spy on my neighbor. She's a total nymphomaniac. She starts fires. No, she's a nymphomaniac. Someone who has sex on land and sea. Here's the plan. I'm going to go to the party with a beer so everyone knows that I'm cool. If we don't get to that party, I'll die. Party? You guys are like seven. Stop treating us like kids. We're twins. Ooh, gummy vitamin. A lot of people saw the trailer for this and said, sounds like Superbad. <laughs> well, 
First of all, that points out how much of an impact Superbad had. And if you didn't realize, it's a really good it's movie. It's like, oh my God, it's such a good movie. But also, there's a good reason for that. Two of the producers of this movie, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, Rogen, who were behind. Rogen yeah. produced. So it does. It takes the basis, the framework of that movie, and backs it up to sixth grade. Right. And you've got these three adorable kids. Jason, Jacob Tremblay, who we love. I love Jacob Tremblay. I want to take him home. <laughs> Keith L. Williams and Brady Noon are the three chums. They're hoping that they're cool. They're not really cool. They want to be cool, which is universal to to kids hitting puberty. And they're starting to think about girls and look at stuff online, and uh, they're excited about the kissing party. And so they want to go, and the universe just throws things in their path (laughs) to kind of keep them from going to the kissing party, where hopefully Max, played by Jacob Tremblay, will get to kiss his crush, a Brixley. Well, there's the first thing that caught me was what kids are being named today. <laughs> We've got in this movie, you've got Brixley, you've got uh, Soren, mm-hmm. and then one of the three main kids here, played by Brady Noon, is named Thor. Right. Uh, so a lot of the feelings here are universal. The names are not. Those are some <laughs> new ones. But uh, this, I, I laugh. We haven't been allowed around children for a while, so. <laughs> I will say, yeah, the kids are adorable. I, I did laugh. It's missing the heart of super bad, but there's some funny stuff. Yeah, it is. It's I mean, it's it's raunchy humor, and it and it gets sort of the the sweetness that it has is the idea really that these kids are good kids and they're they misunderstand almost all of the situations that they find themselves in. And then there are also you know some some just funny bits like a paint gun fight at a at a, a paintball fight at a frat house. At a frat That's house. funny. That is funny. Um, but I think you're right two of the things that that you pointed out right one is that it it is kind of missing to a degree the heart that you see in not just super bad but in sort of the the other super bad remake this year which was book smart yeah which not enough people saw by the way really good movie but the other the other thing is that is that that transition when you're about to leave high school and move on to adult life right it's the same that's the same angst that is fueling this is these you know the the beanbag boys and will they be separated? No, beanbag boys for life. And and the idea that they're hitting a, a place in puberty where some of, you know, they, maybe they are going to a little bit. But there's not nearly as much poignancy about that. Right. The idea of not being the same best friends in fifth grade as sixth grade. Right. It's just not as big of a life moment. It's no, just not. It isn't. So that's kind of you're kind of hamstrung from the beginning about when you base it around that time of life. Um, it's certainly a time that people always remember, and it's up, it's got its highs and its lows for mm-hmm. sure. But yeah, it's, it's just not so much resonant to the rest of your life. And Superbad, as well as Booksmart, was so much about the friendships. Mm-hmm. It was funny, and they got into all sorts of hijinks. But at the at the core, core of it, it was about these characters yeah. and how much they cared about yes. each other and how much we then cared about them right. because of their, their because of the characters that we really came to know through this movie this one loses a, a bit of that because one thing that i've knocked some movies for in the past is the lazy comedy of just having either old people yep. or little kids mm-hmm. say dirty words right it's it's kind of lazy and there's a there i understand there's an inherent comedy in that and you certainly have it in this movie. They say dirty words, things that you're not used to these kids saying. And it is funny. And they get into these situations where they're misunderstanding adult things. And it is funny. But I think what holds this movie back from caring about them as much as we cared about the uh, the characters in Superbad and even Booksmart, 
because there is that line between laughing at them, we're just laughing at what they're saying and what they're doing, and really caring about them. Right. Although I do want to say, I feel like all three characters are given full and recognizable characters. They're different from each other in a way that, you know, before they realize they're probably splitting apart, you realize they're probably splitting apart. And I think that that helps the film develop a little bit more empathy toward the characters Mm -hmm. because of that dramatic tension. But on the whole, no, I think you're right. I think, you know, it's like, oh, it's hilarious that this kid keeps saying these bad words. Ha, 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 ha. And then you think uh, you're you're less invested in the, uh, the actual conflict. Yeah, the director and co-writer Gene Stupnitsky um, is at the helm, even though you, you're seeing in a lot of the trailers Seth Rogen. Right. Because he is He's a producer. He's more famous. Yeah, exactly. He's more <laughs> famous. But it is taking that, quote, unquote, super bad formula and just oh, moving it to middle school. So. I did. I did laugh. Uh, I think you did too. Oh, I mean, yes. We laughed a good bit, yes. especially Jacob Tremblay has a fantastically <laughs> deadpan line about a sex doll that might be the funniest <laughs> thing in the movie. Uh, so there, there are laughs. There's just not as much heart. But I think overall, we we had a good time yeah. with Good Boys. Going under the sea again, where the sharks are next. Is it Shark Week right now? I don't think well, so. Well, it might as well be because four teen girls diving in a ruined underwater city quickly learned they've entered the territory of the deadliest shark species in the claustrophobic labyrinth of submerged caves, 47 meters down, uncaged. I am going to take you to a place that no tourist would ever find in a million years. Chance of a lifetime. It's Mayan. They made human sacrifices here. There's something there. We're going to die down here. Or The Descent Underwater. (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Originally, I guess this was going to be called 48 Meters Down, but uh, they went with Uncaged because this time there are no cages. Yes, the four girls, one of them played by Sistine, I think is how you pronounce it, Stallone. Okay. Uh, The movie debut. Of Sylvester Stallone's daughter. So, so we'll at see- least one of them's acting. So we'll see where the... Oh, ouch! <laughs> Got cold in here all of a sudden. Uh, the movie debut, so we'll see where uh, her career goes. But anyway, four high school girls, they decide to uh, go off and go diving where they shouldn't. And yes, it is a underwater Mayan, Mayan city. And not just a city, mind you, a burial ground. Wow. Woo-hoo, so you know... You know that there will be sharks. That's what? bad. There will be sharks. And one of the girls, well, actually, two of the girls are half sisters, and their dad and stepdad is played by John John Corbett. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then his wife is Nia Long, who's in it for just a couple of scenes, mm-hmm. but okay, she's back at the house anyway. So there's a little sister, half sister. Are we getting along? Kind of thing going on, a dynamic that they play up a little bit. It's the same director. He's back. Director, co-writer, Johannes Roberts from the first 47 meters down. And everything is just amped up. I think he got a bigger budget this time, bigger production all the way around. And a lot of the logic is thrown out the window. But if you like this shark stuff, I got to tell you, it's pretty well staged. It reminded me, yes, of The Descent, because when you're in these caves, it really, you'll see some scenes that are pretty reminiscent of not only the descent, but there's one that they just really take, one of the most famous scenes from Jaws, uh, and just really, oh, okay, I've certainly seen that scene before. But 
remember in Crawl, just, just recently, a few weeks ago, how Crawl used that basement to good effect. Good oh, sure. Natural barriers yeah. and claustrophobic little tight corners. This underwater Mayan city is used much to the same effect, at least while they're in that part of it. And it's it's well staged. There's some good jump scares. There's some blood. So this is not a great movie by any means, but the appetite for this shark stuff is not going away anytime <laughs> soon. They've got to keep finding reasons to make these shark movies. So it's not as ridiculous as Sharknado or anything, anything like that, but there's a lot of lapse of logic to it. I will give it credit for, remember in the first 47 meters down, since we are both certified scuba divers, they go off on this rickety boat with this fly-by-night scuba operation, and they have the most up-to-the-minute cutting-edge scuba equipment available. I'm like, oh, oh. This one. <laughs> That's why they couldn't afford a decent, seaworthy boat. <laughs> I see. This one, there at least they give you a more logical reason why they would have the most up-to-date scuba gear, and they, why that scuba gear fits these teenage girls so perfectly. That, now that not so not much. so much. But okay, we'll give you a little bit and just forget <laughs> the rest, is, because it wants to obviously it wants to hurry it up and let's get in the water. That's what this is about, right? Sure. Let's get in the water and uh, see these sharks, and people are going to get chomped, and some people are going to get a- get away, and it just leads to a completely ridiculous, over-the-top, eye-roll ending that if you're in, you're all the way in, <laughs> and, and you're going to love it. So I will say, if you like the first one, you, it has more of everything. Sharkier sharks and saltier <laughs> water, and just boom. <laughs> They're good. <laughs> it's all it's all there for you. So enjoy. Four, 47 meters down, uncaged. Next is the story of a loving mom becoming compelled to reconnect with her creative passions after years of sacrificing herself or her family. Her leap of faith takes her on an epic adventure that jumpstarts her life and leads to her triumphant rediscovery. It's the movie adaptation of the bestseller Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Something unexpected has come up. There's much more explanation coming, but I have this one shot. Just thinking about it's got my heart racing. Bernadette. You'll never guess what happened. She disappeared. Bernadette. What? She didn't just vanish. Oof. Disappointing. Yeah, especially when you see the writer-director, Richard Linklater. Yes. Who has done some great, great stuff. Oh, my God, but yes. I wondered here. Now, I'll give you, neither one of us, again, full disclosure, we did not read the book. No. But reading about it and, and doing a little bit of research on it, very female-centric point of view, mm-hmm. very female-centric story. So right away, I'm thinking, as talented as a filmmaker as Richard Linklater is, maybe part of his trouble with translating it is that he's just by nature, can't get as deeply into that point of view. I think that that is possible. I mean, what he said was he wanted to he wanted to make a movie that was very deeply about motherhood, mm-hmm. uh, partly because he has three daughters. Sure. Uh, and uh, I think that's lovely. Uh, I don't think this was necessarily the best source material, p- partly because I really, the the motherhood angle is not... That deeply explored, I don't think. And in fact, I don't think that that synopsis fits the film much at all. She hasn't, she hasn't, I think, um, sacrificed her career for her family as much as she fled her career Mm -hmm. after something, you know, sort of horrifying, embarrassing, devastating happened. And she no longer wanted to deal with that. And that, you know, is more of a theme of the film is that when something big occurs, Bernadette vanishes. 
Well, that's the interesting thing, because the book was put together uh, a sort of combination of, of what, emails and, and letters. News clippings. News clippings mm-hmm. when she went missing. Right. So in that way, it reminded us. Uh, reminded us of a great movie called We Need to Talk About Kevin, which came from a book that, that was, was all letters. That was all letters and put together into a fantastic movie, but devastating, by the way. Oh my God. Devastating if you look it up. We very much recommend it, but whoo, it's tough sledding. Anyway, so you can see how those types of books are a challenge to adapt. Yes, absolutely. But I think one of the problems with one of the major differences from what I can tell in the book. You really don't know where she is, and the book is sleuthing that out. Whereas in this film, she doesn't even go missing until after the 90-minute mark because yeah. it's a little bit of a long film, and you, you, the audience always knows exactly where she is. So you, you lose, yeah, you you lose mm-hmm. that mystery component. I also feel like uh, he just had a hard link letter, had a hard time, I guess, finding his stride. The first large part of the movie is, you know, a woman who, who like, the, the worst thing about her life would be sort of these leftover high schoolisms, you know, like... Clicks. Yeah, clicks. And you know what? If you're a grown-up and you're still worried about whether or not Kennedy's mom likes you, mm-hmm. you need a job. This is what I thought the entire film. <laughs> this is what I thought the... Uh, but, but that's the thing, which I should just admit my bias. One of the reasons I didn't read this book, nor do I read a lot of, of, of popular fiction, the I hate... The uh, the rich white lady needs to find herself storyline. Hate Eat, it. Pray, love that yes, sort of thing. All yeah, all those. Because all I think is that you know who doesn't ever think these problems? Uh, anybody with a job. <laughs> anybody with a job. We have actual problems to consider. Now we should say we haven't even mentioned Bernadette is played by the great Kate Blanchett, which is actually another disappointment because I'm thinking to myself, Richard Linklater, Kate Blanchett, right. I am in. Right. And of course, she's great, as she's always great. She just really d- isn't given a lot to do. She spends mm-hmm. a lot of time feeling like an outsider. She spends a lot of time crying by herself in the car. She's great one-on-one with every uh, every actor that they show. It's just that Linklater can't seem to make a decision. Is this a comedy? Because every time there's a comic moment, it's cut short, so you don't really get the opportunity to... It, the, the jokes don't land. Mm-hmm. You know, is it a drama? Is it a mystery? Is it a dysfunctional family? You know, that again, the tensions are all undercut, and it's certainly not a mystery. And, I mean, I just think he never decides what direction he's taking this film. Well, she, he should have included sixth graders talking about a sex doll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when you consider, as you said, the, the director and the, the talent involved. Because the ensemble cast also features Billy Crudup, features Kristen Wiig. Judy Greer. Judy Greer. Yeah, so some great talent here. Yeah. So overall, it's certainly not terrible. No. But um, just a little misguided, and as you said in the written review at MadWolf.com, it really doesn't go much of anywhere. Doesn't. And one more smaller movie, limited release this week, but it's worth seeking out. It's the last female bee hunter in Europe, saving the bees and returning the natural balance in Honeyland. This is one of those documentaries where you look at the subject and think, oh, okay, bees, I know... They're endangered right now. It's a it's a kind of a precipice about the bees, but am I really interested? And then you come out going, wow, I'm glad I saw that. Yes, exactly. I mean, absolutely. Couldn't be more true. It's so beautiful, visually beautiful, all natural light. Uh, it's fly on the wall, um, uh, documentarian style. So there, you know, there's no Q&A. There's no sort of framing device. There's no nothing. You just, and they start with these loving, really distant long shots where you get the chance to see the beekeeper, Hatidze, as she 
kind of struggles with the rugged terrain of Macedonia, uh, isolated Macedonia, where she begins the season by climbing and climbing and climbing and coming home with one part of a hive. Incredibly and, committed. Yes, and and it's so beautiful to look at. And it is mostly really distant, big shots where you can see sort of this gorgeous, rugged landscape. And you see this somewhat solitary figure because she does live with her bedridden mother uh, and some cats and a dog. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lonesome kind of a life. And then all of a sudden, the camera comes in a little bit and just spilling off the edge of the frame just the chaos the cacophony the limbs uh the broken toys of a, a nomad family that that just sort of pulls all of their stuff up within eye shot of where she lives and um and she it's so beautiful to watch the way she just kind of wanders the periphery mm-hmm. silently looking at everything but with a big smile because you you know it's just the life that this family and especially the children really bring. And then little by little she kind of they become a community. She shows them her beekeeping and it's very much about balance half for the bees half for her and she explains why that is and they ask how much do you make and then she's like you have to give half to the bees if you don't give half to the bees it's beautiful and then one of the sons like the middle son sort of becomes a a mentee to her uh but little by little the family the father in particular you know he he meets somebody who wants to pay him for honey Mm -hmm. and then he becomes a beekeeper and then he the the man who wants to buy honey wants to buy more than they can produce and it's so devastating to the viewer because you know where this is going. And so all of a sudden it becomes less about this sort of fantastical cultural uh, presence that you're not familiar with and more an analogy for the problems the world is facing. And in that way, it is such a gut punch. Yeah, and we have to try to pronounce the names of the co-directors because we liked it so much. Tamara Kotsevska and Lubomir Stefanov. And I butchered those, uh, but we have to name them because it's so well done. They deserve the credit. Absolutely, and it was a it was a big Sundance winner. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous film to watch. Uh, it is heartbreaking and beautiful and allegorical, mm-hmm. and uh, everything about it feels like a fable. And I just can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah, so if it's in your area, I might want to check it out. Uh, worth seeking out, Honeyland. And that's a cue to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Big one, mighty big one, coming out finally on home video, Avengers Endgame. It's funny, of it. We walked past our local theater here just in the last couple of days, and they still had it showing, yeah. now, now showing. I don't know if it really is, but I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's a long run. It's a, it's a popular film. It is, it is. Uh, so we've talked about this quite a bit, as everybody has. We enjoyed it very much. Yes. We, we thought it was a very apt end to what they're calling this phase yeah. of the MCU. I yeah. think it really is. It's emotional, it's thrilling, it's not perfect, but I think it's really, really well constructed by the Russo brothers. And if you're looking for something you may not have seen when it was in the theater, here's a great one. A little one uh, written and directed by Branagh. Kenneth Branagh! All this time that he has spent in <laughs> Shakespeare, now he's playing Shakespeare in one called All is True. It's the role he was born to play. I mean, it seems like it just seems like he's been leading to this, yeah, right? Yes. For the whole time. And so, it's uh, clever and yeah. it's it's interesting. He's great. Judy Dench, always great. Mm-hmm. Uh a little Ian McKellen. Not a lot, but a little Ian McKellen really that adds p- flavor to any movie. You know, Judy Dench, you reminded me, we've got to mention this since we talked about good boys and we didn't mention this. We are part <laughs> since we're based in Columbus, Ohio, we are part of a group called the Columbus Film Critics Association, which 
in a couple of years ago. At, at its inception, it was called the Central Ohio Film Critics Association. Anyway, over the years, a few years ago, we had some interaction with Seth Rogen and James Franco about an award that we gave to uh, James Franco for the movie Spring Breakers. So anyway, fast forward, we just saw a few weeks ago Seth Rogen and the kids from Good Boys put together a little promo video. It's not a trailer, but it's a promo video for Good Boys. And it's the the three boys, they're trying to get into the theater to see their own movie, and of course they're not old enough to get in. So they call Seth Rogen, and he can't get them in, and then, you know, they say, oh, I should have tried this, because anyway, what it comes down to is Jacob Tremblay claiming that he's the better actor by saying, oh, did you ever get a Central Ohio Film Critics Association Award? And the other boy's saying, no, did you? And then <laughs> Jacob Tremblay goes, no, but I was nominated. Fucking Judy Dent. <laughs> so, <laughs> we saw that, and the fact that he named our group, or we just, I, you you said Judy Dench. I had to mention it. Yep. Hilarious. So that's another extra point on the side of good boys for us because <laughs> we really appreciate that. That was funny. Hilarious, Seth Rogen. All right. Looking forward to next week. A couple that we've already seen. Um, so looking forward to talking about The Nightingale. Oh, my goodness, uh-huh. yes. Also, uh, The Peanut Butter Falcon is coming up next week. Ready or Not, which Woo-hoo! we're very excited about. Very. I'm going to see that on Monday. Angel Has Fallen. Less excited. The latest in the, what would you call that? The Has Fallen franchise? <laughs> I, guess I suppose. So. <laughs> and on another one that we've already seen, One yeah, Child Nation. That's right. Very provocative um, documentary about the one child policy in China. So uh, we'll talk about all of those and more. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about the crop this week. Some good stuff to talk about. Yeah. Very wide ranging subjects yep. this week. So it's always uh, easy to find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, you can always find all of our written reviews as well as our other podcast, Fright Club. Just talking about horror movies, all that can be found at madwolf.com. So we always appreciate you stopping by the screening room. And wherever you are listening, if you would just take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Always appreciate that. So until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. <laughs>